Well, good morning, family. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you all had an amazing weekend, amazing Thanksgiving weekend, ate all the calorie-free food that you could have. Did you know that between Thursday and Sunday at like 10 p.m., all the calories are free? Did you know that? Hey, I wanted to, I have the, the privilege of, of um, with permission, correcting my husband. Isn't that great? So, James was telling us about um, how we are going to be supporting um, two ministries for Christmas, Hope Cottage, which is a residential home for single moms and their children who are coming out of addiction and recovery. And we're wrapping our arms around them. We're also um, supporting Streetlight USA. The only difference is Streetlight USA is a home for single teenagers, ages 13 to 18. So these are girls who are um, coming out of human trafficking. They've been victims of human trafficking. And, and so Streetlight USA brings these girls in. They, um, they house them. They um, educate them. They have a school on site. And it's a Christian-based ministry. And they provide them counseling. And they move these girls from a place of trauma to a place of triumph over a course of about a year. And so we are so privileged to be able to work with Streetlight USA and with Hope Cottage um, in providing. Thank you providing a, um, a Christmas that they probably wouldn't have if it wasn't for us. Another thing that we did um, this last weekend, last Sunday, and you'll, you'll hear more about it over the next couple of weeks, is uh, our One Heart community engagement team. This is a team of us who go out um, into the community at different times over the year, um, and we just love on our community. And we did with our dollar share offering, which we do about once a month, we took our dollar share offering for November, and we went over to Safeway up the street, and we bought about $2,000 worth of groceries for people who, yes, for people who had no idea that we were coming, and we were only able to do that because of you, because of your generosity, because of your hearts that you were able to just to reach in and dig a little bit deeper, we were able to, to provide so many people with groceries and Thanksgiving or either or. I met one woman, her name was Helen. She's about 87 years old, sweet, sweet lady. She was there with her daughter. She's 11 children. And she um, lives here in the community, and they were there buying groceries, and they were getting some, some food for Thanksgiving, but they were also getting groceries for the week. But they didn't have enough money to buy both groceries and Thanksgiving. And so because of you, uh, we were able to run to the back to the, to the meat department and grab them a turkey uh, for their Thanksgiving dinner. And so we heard story after story like that. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for loving so well. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So happy to be part of that. So Thanksgiving through Christmas, through New Year's, it's my favorite time of year. I'm sure it is for many of you too. I love everything about this season. I love the sights. I love the sounds. I love the smells. I love the lights. I love the Hallmark movies that are on real, you know, repeat all the time. You know, I love that redemption story. I know that sometimes Hallmark movies are a little cheesy but that's okay. We need some cheese in our life, I think, sometimes. And this is the perfect time of year. But, you know, more than that, I love what we do when we, do, when we reach out and we love, um, like, for Streetlight USA and for, for One Heart Hope, One Hope um, Cottage. I love that we're able to just be the hands and feet of Jesus during such a time 
where so many people are hurting and so many people are struggling. And, and I know in a room this size, there's probably several people that are, are going through a current struggle in their life. And, and, you're, and maybe this season is, is kind of hard for you. Maybe it's hard this year. Maybe it's hard every year. And so I just, you know, the first thing I would like to say to you is that we love you. We are your church family and we love you. And we want to wrap our arms around you and support you through a struggle that you might be having and support you in prayer. Prayer is our most powerful weapon. And so we want to be able to come alongside you and walk with you through your journey in prayer. And so if you would just let us know, either shoot us an email or you can grab a connect card at the end of service before you go out to the tree to, to grab your gift. You can just let us know what you're struggling with because it is our honor and our privilege to support you in prayer. We have a team that prays over those cards all week long. Um, and so we would love to be able to do that for you. And I would also challenge you, or even not necessarily challenge you, but encourage you to not let the struggles and the hurts that you might be experiencing steal your joy in this season. Because this season is about the birth of our Savior. This season is about the hope that lives in us and about his, his coming to, our, to earth and, and, and coming as a baby in human form and living a sinless life and taking all of those sins that we have and taking them all upon his shoulders and then dying for us so that we could spend eternity with him. That's what this season is about, celebrating the life of Jesus. And so I, I know that, you know, struggles and that life is hard. And, and I've experienced struggles in my life. I've experienced small struggles and large struggles. But I know that my experiences when I'm, when I'm hurting, if I can find the, the, just find the power to take my focus off of myself and focus on somebody else, my struggles maybe don't seem so large and I'm able to just kind of offload some of that by, by loving on other people. So I would just really encourage you to do that. And if anybody understands the struggles that we experience in life, I think it would be Mary, Jesus's mother in the Bible. And, and so being that this is the first of December and it's the beginning of the Christmas season, I'm gonna talk to you about Mary a little bit this morning and about some of the lessons we can learn from her. And a little bit of the backstory, she was a Jewish girl. She was living in Galilee. And for about 400 years, the Jewish people had been praying and waiting for their Messiah, for the anointed one, for their, their king, their leader, who would come and rescue them from their Roman oppressors because they were under Roman law at that time. And they were waiting for their king that would come and who would lead them, one of their own, who would lead them with justice. And so Mary is about 14 years old. She's a middle school student in today's world. And um, she's just living her ordinary, well-planned life. She's just leading, living a life of a, a normal Jewish girl. She was actually newly promised to be married to Joseph, which might seem crazy to you that a 14-year-old girl would be engaged to be married or promised to, to marriage. But that was the culture then, that, that teenage girls um, entered into marriage. And it wasn't like it is today where, where you, you, know, you find somebody, you meet somebody online, or you meet somebody in school, and you, you start dating, and then you, you know, get engaged, and then you get married. These, these kids where their marriages were arranged by their families. And so two families in the village, they would, you know, one had a son, one had a daughter, and they would come together and they would arrange that their children would be married. And so that's where Mary, where Mary was. She was 
probably planning her wedding. She was learning. She was spending that year um, learning how to be what it meant to be a wife, what it meant to be an adult woman in their culture, what it meant to be a woman. She was kind of in training. And she was just, you know, hoping and planning and, and preparing. And then one day, and we don't know where she was. We don't know if she was at home or if she was on her way going somewhere. But she uh, received an unexpected visit by an angel named Gabriel. And he came to her and he said, greetings. In some versions of the Bible, it says, he said, rejoice or be joyful. And Mary was surprised and she was scared and she was concerned about the greeting. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen an angel. So if I was walking down, you know, Camelback one day and all of a sudden an angel popped up in front of me, I think I'd be a little frightened too. I'm thinking, oh, what did I do wrong? Uh, but that's where she was. And so let's look here in Luke chapter one and let's look at, see what, uh, the, about the encounter with Jesus, uh, with uh, Mary rather, and Gabriel. So in the month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was Mary's older cousin. God sent the ga angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Amen. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So I believe if Mary was here with us today, she would have some words of wisdom to share with us um, from her life experiences. But I just came up with a few lessons that I think that she might, might speak to us if she was here with us. And the first was that my devotion to the Lord was shown in my obedience out of a loving and trusting relationship with my God. You know, Mary was only 14 years old, and I find it just fascinating that at such a young age, she already found so much favor with God, and she already knew God so well and so intimately that he entrusted her to be the mother of the Messiah, that she entrusted, he entrusted rather her to be the mother of our Savior. But at 14, she knew God so well that even in the next chapter, in chapter 2 of Luke, there's a passage of scripture called Mary's Song of Praise. And all throughout that song, weaved in and out, are Old Testament references, which tells me that she knew God's word. She knew the, the prophets. She knew his scripture. And because she had such a, a strong and a close relationship with God, she was able to respond to the angel's call on her life with faithfulness immediately. 
She didn't doubt what he had to say to her. She did have some, some questions, and she asked a question, how can this be? I'm, I'm a virgin. And that's okay. You know, I think that God wants us to ask him. He wants us to ask questions and to dig in and to research in his word when we have questions about, about things that we hear or things that we see or maybe a call that we received. And she did too. In verse 34, she said, how will it be? And notice she wasn't challenging him. She didn't say, mm, will it really be? Or she didn't come to him with a, with a spirit of arrogance and say, mm, will I let it be? No. She, she just asked a, 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 a pointed question, how will it be? And you know, God doesn't want us to have that blind faith either. He wants us to dig in. He wants us to research. And, and what I think is really cool about Camelback is that we have life groups here. And so the beauty of life groups is that we're walking through life and we're linking arms with other people who have the same faith. And in, even in our life groups, we can dig in and ask those questions in a safe environment, knowing that we have people in our, in our group, people alongside of us who are going to help us discover those questions that we have. And because Mary had that intimate relationship with God, because she was faithful to him, because um, she was obedient to him, choosing obedience was a natural response for her. It was, it, it, I don't think it was something she ever would have thought of to not choose obedience. In verse 38, she responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you've said about me come true. And you know, Mary didn't have all the answers. We know that she didn't because she asked a question. We don't know how many other questions she had. I'm sure she had other questions, and maybe some of them were answered to the place where she understood them. Maybe some of them were just kind of, you know, am, am, ambiguous to her. But she was able to say yes, even though she didn't have all the answers, because she had that loving, trusting relationship with Christ. And that's the same with you and me. We don't have to have all the answers to say yes to God when he interrupts our lives. When we have that trusting relationship with him, we know that we can trust him, that he has our good in mind, and that we can trust him when he calls on us. Amen. Another thing I think that Mary would say to us is sometimes obedience requires us to rejoice despite the cost of the call. And that doesn't seem like a natural response until you dig into it a little bit. When Gabriel came in, came in and, and placed that call on, on uh, on Mary, he didn't come with a call for her to submit or a call for her to, you know, to, to do a task or, you know, a call of duty. He came to her with a call to rejoice in the interruption of God breaking into her ordinary, well-planned 14-year-old life. In, in some versions, I said, you know, when we read it, it said greetings, but in other versions, it says rejoice. And the, word, the Greek word for rejoice is kairo, and it means exceeding joy. And he called her first to rejoice because he was there and to rejoice because God was getting ready to do something in her life. And I believe that in that period of time, 400 years, they'd been praying and waiting for their Messiah. So I would imagine any young Jewish girl would, would love to hear the call that you are going to be the mother to the Messiah, that you are going to, to, to give birth to the Savior of the world for a couple of reasons. One, because they knew that their 400 years of waiting was coming to an end. But also because what a privilege to be counted that faithful and to be trusted by God that much that you would be the mother to the savior of the world. But Mary had a problem, and actually Joseph had a problem too. They were promised to be married. In our world, they would be engaged. But 
being a promised in marriage at that, in that culture, in that time, was the same commitment as marriage. And so Mary coming to Joseph and saying, I'm pregnant is a problem for her, but it's a problem for him. Because the commitment is the same in marriage, the penalty in many cases is death for the person, uh, for, for the woman, for Mary. And even though Joseph was a good man and he loved the Lord and he was obedient to, to his commandments, he also loved Mary and he cared about her and he didn't want to see pain and ridicule come to her house. And so in his mind, he was quietly contemplating just sending her away. And let's look here in Matthew chapter 1 and see about Joseph's interaction with, with the angel. But after he had considered this, sending Mary away, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I know I'm talking about Mary with you today, but I got to just take a pause and give a couple of props to Joseph in this moment. So he was also called to something hard and difficult. And he did two things that I think are pretty extraordinary. His response in obeying and being obedient to what the angel said to him flew in the face of their culture. To him, for him to marry Mary when she's pregnant, and not by him, and we don't know if she was two months or six months or eight months pregnant, but you had to know that in their village, in their community, people were talking. People were challenging him. People were, were judging them and pointing fingers and, and maybe even trying to hurt her, maybe even trying to bring her to trial to, to, to have her killed for, for being unfaithful to Joseph. And, and also, after he got married to her, I'll be just a little bit real. They're married. He has every right to have that relationship with his wife in a married, in a married relationship, but he chooses not to until she gives birth to Jesus. So he honored God and he honored Mary in that. And, you know, for a guy, that was probably pretty hard. So I give props to Joseph in that moment for, you know, being the man and stepping up and doing the right thing, right? Mary understood that sometimes obedience requires her to, required her to rejoice despite the cost of the call. Mary also understood that in order for Jesus to fulfill his mission here on earth, that she was going to have to suffer. I think she understood her role as Jesus' mom, as, as the mother to the Messiah. But I don't think in her 14-year-old or 20-year-old or 25-year-old or even 30-year-old mind, she could fully fathom the details of what that cost was going to be. And I think, you know, God doesn't give us foreknowledge a lot of, you know, he doesn't tell us, he doesn't give us a call and tell us everything we're going to encounter in the, in the process, because I believe if he did, none of us would say yes. It'd be too scary. So she didn't understand the resistance that Jesus would, would experience. She didn't understand the denial and the betrayal of one of his own. You know, of all people, 
all humans at the time, Jesus, Mary was the only one who was present at Jesus' birth and also witnessed his death. You know, Jesus arrived as her baby, and he died as her savior. And just like Mary, God's first call to us is not a call of duty. It's not a call of judgment. It's a call for joy. It's a call to rejoice. It's a call of Cairo because he loves to come into the ordinary lives of people who are going to make themselves available to him. And, you know, he comes to us in ordinary places in our lives. He comes to us in kitchens and in laundry rooms. He comes to us in classrooms and boardrooms. He comes to us in, you know, in cars and shopping aisles and parking lots. He came to me in a car in a mall parking lot. And I think that was not completely unrealistic for me to be in a mall parking lot. Um, you know, I'm a girl, I love to shop. But that's where he came to me. That I was in my sister's car, and we were in the mall parking lot, and I saw um, a, something in her car, and I asked her about it, and she started sharing to me about her Savior and about who he was and who Jesus was in her life and why he came and, and about faith in Jesus. And we grew up Catholic, so I did have an understanding of who Jesus was, but I didn't understand he was my Savior. I understood he was the son of God, but I didn't know who he was, could be to me intimately. And so right there in that car, before we walked into the mall, I accepted Jesus as my savior that day. Could you imagine a more ordinary place? And he doesn't come to us with these grand gestures. He meets us where we are. Amen. And you know, when he comes to us, he doesn't come to us with a waving finger of condemnation saying, no, you should have done it this way, or you didn't do it, or you did, or you, you, you. No, he whispers joy to us. He whispers love, and he calls us with a grace that we don't deserve. Amen. And he doesn't want us to answer that call with our heads hanging low and walking, dragging our feet, or, or even with fear. He wants us to answer his call because his call to you and to me is handpicked. It's one of a kind. And he wants us to answer that call with a childlike joy and gladness. And, but he also wants us to answer it with obedience. Amen. But we can only do that if we're holding our hands loosely, not with a tight-fisted grip with our preconceived notions about what our lives and our days or even our moments are supposed to look like. Instead, we need to open our hands and position ourselves so we can allow and embrace the interruptions that God brings to us and then leverage them for kingdom impact. Amen. Then and only then will we receive his joy despite the cost of the call. The third thing I think Mary would say to us was it was worth it. Can you imagine as a mom or as a dad the unimaginable pain that Mary experienced watching her son from the start of his ministry until his death and watching the pain that he endured. From the time that he was preaching and teaching in the temples and people were ridiculing him and accusing him of blasphemy and they were out to get him and then they would, they would trap him and then they finally, he was betrayed by one of his own, by one of his disciples, he was betrayed by him and then they captured him and they brought him to a trial and they falsely accused him of things that he didn't do and then they, they, they found him guilty and then they beat him so badly that he was unrecognizable. Could you imagine being a parent and seeing your child suffer that way? 
and not doing anything about it. Not because you didn't care, but because you knew. You understood the cost of the call on his life, and you understood the cost of the call on your life. And you needed to be obedient to the journey. Mary was obedient to Jesus' journey. And you have to know that tears were streaming down her face. You have to know that she was crying out, heaving, crying out for mercy, for him to be freed. But she knew that he was doing what his Father in heaven called him to do. And Mary's faithful obedience changed the course of history for you and for me, for all mankind. I believe her most profound statement to the angel was, I am the Lord's servant. No matter what you call me to do, no matter what the cost, no matter what the pain, I will do what you have called me to do because I love you and I trust you. She had that relationship with him. And because she did, she was able to say yes to the interruption, to the call from an ordinary 14-year-old Jewish girl's life to the extraordinary life as the mother of the Messiah. She understood that it was worth it, even though it came with a cost, a sacrifice. And that's the way it is for us, too. When God calls us, it comes with a sacrifice. It comes with a cost. And it can be crazy and scary and unknown. And, oh, my gosh, this wasn't my plan. I don't want to do this. This is hard. There's a risk. But if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be extra. It would just be ordinary. But Mary would tell us that it was worth it. It's always worth it to follow God's calls. And you know, interruptions happen in our lives all the time, right? We are living our ordinary, everyday lives. We're walking along, doing our thing, and bam, out of nowhere, a loved one gets a bad medical report. Or someone loses a job. Or someone that you trust and you loved, they hurt you. And sometimes those interruptions aren't negative. Sometimes they're good things. You get an unexpected promotion or a job opportunity, and you have to make a hard decision. They're both good opportunities. Which one do I take? I don't know. I can only work one place. What do I do? Or maybe you've been praying for a spouse, and now you've, and somebody's come into your life, and you have to make more space in your life. It's not just about me and Netflix. You know, I got to make space for this person in my life. And then, and then talking about extra space in your life, maybe an unexpected baby. Maybe you're like Mary or Elizabeth and you're like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> Time to build another room. You know, God's presence and his plans, we know they often turn our lives upside down. They turn our plans upside down. But when he interrupts, it's the best. It's the best interruption. It's the best you know, mess that we can have because his new dreams, his new realities, his plans, even though they're scary and they're strange and they're unexpected, they're holy. They're from him. And we have to, I I just want us to be really careful about our response when we get interrupted by God because our response to him not only reveals our character, it reveals our trust in him. So what will you do in that moment? When God comes to you and he interrupts your plans and he interrupts your life and he says, knock, knock, by the way, this is the call I have for you. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Will you be like Mary and say, I have some questions. How will it be? That's okay. 
Or will you say, I don't want to do it? Or even worse than that, will you say, no, I hope not. I hope I don't. I hope I will be like Mary and I will say, as you've said it, let it be. But I know it's hard because when the cost is high, it can seem impossible to say yes in our own power. But by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we can say yes to hard things. We can say yes when the cost is high. And there's something about that overshadowing power that makes the impossible more than possible. It makes the results holy. Because what is born from the Holy Spirit is holy and it's anointed. And more than anything, I want for you to find him in the ordinary and discover all of a sudden that you're living in the extraordinary. Because a sold out life for God, led by his Holy Spirit, is not about you or not about me and about our little lives. It's about living a may it be as you say life, like Mary lived. It's about humbly positioning ourselves in our everyday coming and going so the Holy Spirit can overshadow us and fill us and lead us into the extraordinary abundance of a life that's fully devoted to his purposes. So if Mary was here with us today, I think she would finally say, trust the process. Because he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our devotion. Most of all, he is worthy of our obedience. Would you stand with me, please? Lord Jesus, we just thank you. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that we are entering into a season where we are celebrating your birth. We're celebrating the moment in history where God saw to it to have you come to earth in the human form of a baby and to live a sinless life, but to take on our pain so that you would know what it's like to be fully God and fully human. And only you, who is fully God and fully human, would not only be able to understand our pain and our hurts and our struggles, but you're able to take them from us, take those sins from us, shoulder them all on you, and then die in, in our place so that we can live a life that way one day when, when, our, when we die and our bodies are no longer here, we can rest assured that our spirit will live forever with you. I thank you that you did that for me, and I thank you you did that for every person in this room. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you are, would say to me, you know, Karen, I've been wandering, I've been wondering, I've been searching. And something that you said today clicked. And now I understand that life isn't just about me. It's not about living for my purposes. It's about living the call that God has placed on my life so that my life can move from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And I want, I want that in my life. You know, the Bible says the only thing that we have to do to receive that is to believe. No grand gesture in the ordinary place. Just a, 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 a verbal yes, I believe. And so if that's you today and you're ready to make that step in your life and you're ready to say, yes, God, I'm ready to live for you. I'm ready to say yes to your call in my life. I just want to invite you not to do anything grand, but just for me so I would know if you could just raise your hand real quick and then just put it down just so I know so I can pray for you. Yes, yes, yes. 
Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the four to five hands that I saw go up. I thank you that in heaven right now there's a party because your word says that when one person says yes to you, there is a party in heaven. And I thank you, Lord, that you've made yourself real and known to these people, to my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you would just make yourself just known in such a real and tangible way to them and that they would take that, that newfound relationship with you and that they would grow and they would discover your purpose and your call in their life. I thank you that, that you have created Camelback Community Church to be a place where people can find you, where people can be safe, where people can find family. I love this church, Lord, and we love you. We ask that you would be with us today, be with us in this Christmas season, that you would help us find someone to love, someone that we can be your hands and feet to. Pray that all of the tags would be taken off the tree so that all of those moms and those girls and those children would have the best Christmas of their lives. We love you, Lord. We worship you. In your name we pray, amen.